0: Looking at Genesis chapter 3 last week and some of the particular things going on with, with it, we saw that Adam yielded to the voice of his wife and that was one of the things that, they were, that he was cited for. We asked, what do you listen to? What do you yield to that leads you against the commands of God? We don't want to go against the commands of God. We want to make sure that we stay to them because God looks at what are we allowing to lead us away from the commands of God Now, the cause of the yielding is not an excuse. Each person gave a reason for why they yielded, but they're not excuses. There are some who are deceived. There are some who decide to just disobey. It makes no difference. But there is still in this, we didn't get into everything last week. There was a greater application, and we made mention of that to you. But uh, we were going to put it off until next week, but we're going to put it off until next week because um, I was actually thinking the kids were going to be in with us this, this Sunday, and just a lot of the things from that would uh, uh, work in with them. But since it's not until next week, we're going to uh, stay in the same area, but just look at something a little bit different. So if you'll turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to begin there, move over into Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, we start this out with, Why did sin dominate so easily? If you are familiar with the story of Genesis, you will know that sin took over. Sin took over fast. How did sin take a perfect society and corrupt it so fast? That's the question that I like to ask them. We learn... By asking questions, we learn. By asking questions that are based on faith, based on the belief that God's word is true, based on our trust in Him. So, there's a number of questions I wanted to take a look at here. With this, how did did man escalate to murder in just the second generation? How did we get that fast? Get that far? That fast? What can we learn about that for us ourselves? And how many of you have ever wondered? what the sign is that God put upon Cain. There's some uh, there's some weird stuff about that. But well, we'll take a look at those things. And just in looking at that, I will show you some, some principles for that that will sh- it'll help you understand how false doctrine gets started and how easy it is to put it to rest. There's one more thing that I want to make sure we get to. What was Cain afraid of. When he told God that he was afraid the people would kill him, what is he afraid of? Who is he afraid of? So we want to take a look at look at some of those things. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So now we get a name for her. Up till now she's only been called Adam's wife, the woman. But she is the mother of all Living things. So, don't let anybody tell you that the Bible teaches that there are other people here on the earth. There were not. Every person that is living on the earth came from Eve. Adam did not. Adam came from the ground. Eve came from Adam. But all the rest of the living creatures came from Eve. They were born... Uh, she had uh, sons and daughters, and then they had sons and daughters, but they all came as a result. They all can trace their lineage back to to Eve. So we can actually trace our lineage, every single one of us, back to Adam and Eve. So we're all brothers and sisters. Makes no difference. But some people want to say, well, there's other people because Cain went to Nod, and then you know there are people that, no, there were not people there until he got there. Unless some of his brothers and sisters went off. So, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. They made tunics of, of uh, leaves. Self-righteousness is not lasting. God did this with the animal skins. It would last longer, but it would not be permanent. What is the permanent fix? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the bulls, the goats, all those things. That is temporary. It's it's more permanent than self-righteousness, but it's all looking towards Jesus coming. So we had all three of those things here in this story. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now like us, not in that they were the same kind of God that he was, but like us in knowing good and evil. So it's... Man, at this point, we know good, we know evil. Up till then we knew good. God knew good and evil, and God could stay away from evil, even though He knew of it. We cannot. Once we find out that something is evil, what do we do? We want it. All somebody has to say is, that food is bad for you. What do you want to do? You know, chocolate cake is bad for you. Give me some chocolate cake. And now lest he put his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, this does not indicate that this needed to be an ongoing thing, whether he needed to continue to eat from the tree of life or if one time would do it. One time of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, that's all it took. One time. But uh, we don't know for sure on the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is not on the earth anymore. It was on the earth. It was in the Garden of Eden. It is now in heaven. We have scriptures that show us that his residence is now in heaven. So you cannot go out there and find it and eat of it and live forever. God wanted to make sure that that didn't happen because death needed to come in in order for the redemption to come. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and the flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. A lot of things that come out of this, people, people read this passage and they have the idea that the Garden of Eden is here today, that there is an angel guarding it so that no one can get into it. That's not what it says. It says the angel was there to guard what? The Tree of Life. Not the Garden. The angel was there to guard the Tree of Life. Now, he guarded the Garden so that he couldn't get into the Tree of Life, but the Garden is gone. God planted it, God had it to grow, but then he also destroyed it. Because we know the area where the Garden of Eden was, and we know that that is the area of the promised land that was promised to Israel. So people still inhabit that area. But the tree is gone. Once the tree was gone and the tree was taken up into heaven, we no longer needed an angel uh, to guard the thing. So people who want to go out and teach... That the Garden of Eden is still there. There's an angel guarding it. Have you ever, anybody ever heard that teaching? A couple of people heard that. Yeah. Well, that he was there to guard the Tree of Life, so that they wouldn't eat from it. Because if they ate from it, then there would be uh, there would be a problem. So that's why he was he was there. The angel is not there anymore. But the flaming sword would ha- wouldn't have to be there any longer. I don't know how long the flaming sword was there. I don't know if it's there for a week. I don't know if it's there for a year. I don't know if it's there for 10 years. I just don't know. But it was there for a long enough time that the tree of life was removed. The garden was, uh, taken away. And then they were able to, uh, to, to take him away. Take that one gone. Now sometimes God has to drive us away. I think I put this in your outline. I want to make sure that you got it. Sometimes God has to drive us away from the very thing he gave to bless us because we put ourselves in a position where the blessing would hurt us. Adam and Eve put themselves in a position where the blessing that God gave them in the in the garden, the blessing that God gave them in the tree of life that was in the in the garden, that that would hurt them, but it was intended to be a blessing. Make sure you keep yourself in a position that the things that are to be a blessing of God don't become something That hinders you, that hurts you. You'll see this even in the, in other places in the, in the Bible. King Saul was given something that was supposed to be a blessing in the, in the kingship, but that became something that was no good for him and it was taken away. It, uh, it ended up hurting him. Now it hurt him because he was in the wrong position. Jeroboam had the same kind of thing going on. And other people were in positions like that too. Make sure you keep yourself in a position to enjoy the blessings of God. Don't get in a position where the blessings are not going to help you or they're going to hurt you. But there were things that were lost when they were kicked out of the garden, when they had to go out into the field. I wrote down some things that they lost. Not necessarily that you write them down, but you may uh, may want to or may even come up with some more. One thing they lost was walking with God. They used to have walks with with Jesus in the garden. They lost that. They lost that, that close communion with Him. They lost the garden. They lost the harmony that they had. They lost the tree of life. They lost only knowing good. They lost their state of righteousness and sinlessness. These are things that they lost. And you can't get them back. They are gone. They're lost. God didn't intend for them to lose them, but they did. There are some times that God puts things in our life, but because of our decisions, because of the way that we have gone, we lose some of those things. Doesn't mean you can't get it back. Some of them might be able to get back. They were not able to get these back. Disobedience has a cost. We may not see it. We may not understand the how and the whys, or we might not feel it right away, but disobedience has a cost. The devil loves to sell Christians on the fact that if you just do this, you can enjoy that and just repent and everything will be fine. There is a cost to disobedience. There is a cost to pursuing things that God is not attached to. There is a cost to saying that God is attached to things that he did not attach himself to. We see that a lot in the Bible. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, there is a thought out here in reading these verses that Cain and Abel are twins. Anybody ever heard that? There is a thought that Cain and Abel are twins. The reason for it is this. The most times when when the births are separate the conception is also separate. So you'll see this. Then she, uh, now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. It does not say that she conceived again. A lot of times when it has a list the sons that were born, the kids that were born, she conceived and bore so and so, she conceived and bore so and so. It will say conceived and bore, but here it doesn't do that. And when it talks about people that were twins, We don't have the conceived part talked about twice. We only have the born part talked about twice. So that's why the thought is there. It is possible. I think from the names, I would argue against it. And I'll show you why I would, I would do that. But it is possible. I just want to let you know that is a, that is a thought. I can't tell you that it didn't happen that way. But the, uh, the people back in these days, when they named somebody, it meant something. Eve's name meant something. She was named Eve for a reason, because she was the mother of all things. Adam was named because he was the first. He was the beginning. The names had a reason. Abraham had a name that had a reason, that had a meaning for. It. God changed his name for a reason. The sons of Abraham. they had names that meant something. People named their kids things that had a meaning. They they named you were going to be this. Remember when Benjamin was born? Son of my sorrow. And they changed his name. They didn't want him to have that name the whole time. Instead of son of my sorrow, he was called son of my right hand. So he was changed. his name was changed to Benjamin. Because names meant something. So with that in mind, take a look at the names that we have here. And she conceived and bore Cain. So Cain is born and she names him. Cain. This means possession. And she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So she is saying by naming him Cain, Cain means possession. It actually is uh you know means like you would go out and, and uh buy sheep or acquire <laughs> livestock or you would gain it's, it's a possession. When she called him Cain, she says, I have gained a man child, and I have gained gained a male baby. This would seem to indicate, at least to me, this indicates to me that probably the firstborn is not a boy. She probably had at least one girl before Cain and maybe a couple. If you were a, if you were a family and you wanted to have at least one of each and you were, you were having the, the babies and you had a girl. All right, we got the girl. All right, this is, this is great. And I'll tell you what, if you could ever plan this thing out, have the girl first. Have the girl first. You have the girl first. I've said this many a times. You have the girl first. The girl will be a second mama. She will help. She will change diapers. She will fetch things. She will cook things. She will clean things. She will do stuff. Males are useless. You have that boy first. He don't care about changing no diaper. He don't care about fetching no diaper bag. He don't care about... No, we we don't need to mess with that. But somehow the girl just seems to pick that up. You get that, But uh, she may have had one, two, three. I think there was a couple of them because we're, we're thinking, all right, you're, you're pregnant. I wonder what we're going to have. Uh, they didn't have the ultrasound. I don't know if God was whispering anything in their ears, but uh, they may have had one, two, three different babies that were girls. And then they finally get one that's a man. And that would, to me, that would tell me why I would name this one King. I have got a man child from the Lord now what's important here everything living comes from Eve if all you have is girls guess how long this race is going to last if all you had is boys guess how long this race is going to last not going to last very long so if you had a couple of girls you're kind of being concerned about we want to make sure that we have things uh, uh, taken care of here that we keep we need a boy we need somebody born Because they did marry the brothers and sisters. That's all that was there. Everything living came from Eve. So she had Cain. Cain means possession. I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now Abel gives us a, a. It's an interesting name. That we have for number two. If she was so thrilled about having a man-child and got Cain first and then another. You would think that there would be something along the lines of of Cain, of uh, I've acquired something, I have a, I have a possession. But it is such a different name, it leads me to think there may have been some time between these, even though the possibility of them being twins is there. Abel, it comes from, and I wrote, I don't usually ever give you the, the uh, Strong's number. I gave you the Strong's number for a purpose and for a reason. I want you to see something from this. So that, that little H1893, that is the Strong's number. Strong's numbers are done this way. If it starts with a G, it's a Greek word. If it starts with an H, it's a Hebrew word. That's how you can tell the difference. And This is the 1,893rd word in the Hebrew list of Strong's. Now, Strong's Strong's numbers are used all over. I have a couple of uh, Greek works that do not use Strong's numbers. I could find out what the Strong number was. I could look it up by the Strong's number, and I would get a word very different. They're in the same ballpark. They're in the same neck of the woods, but I may get a number of a Greek thing like uh, 2155. And in the other work that I have, it may put it at uh, 2198. They're just a little bit off. They have uh, more words, less words. I don't, I don't know exactly how it is, but they, uh, they're just a little bit off. But here we have the Hebrew word, and I wrote it out there. This is how it is spelled into English. It is either H-E-V-E-L, Havel, or H-E-B-E-L. They use both of those, depends on which work you're looking at. It means breath or vapor, and it implies worthlessness. The meaning here is vanity or breath. It could be either one. It could be vanity or it could be breath. But it comes from 1892. It comes from, this name 1893 comes from the Hebrew word numbered 1892. And on that one, it is, I believe, H-A-V-E-L. Just one letter different. And actually in the Hebrew, it's not a letter different. It's a breathing mark different. They don't have vowels in the Hebrew. They have breathing marks. And so in my outline, I actually put it in the actual Hebrew. Not that it means a whole lot to me. But I have it there. I can see the, the the slight differences between them. But that's what it comes from. 1892, which means vanity or breath. The etymology of this word means to act emptily or to become vain. Now, 1892, it be, it means an emptiness. I have another definition here. An emptiness or vanity, figuratively, something transitory and unsatisfactory. Something transitory or unsatisfactory. Can you imagine that if you gave birth to one, Cain, and you are thrilled that now you are in possession of a man-child, that the next boy who was born, if it was a twin, you are calling worthless, unsatisfactory, vain, or vanity? How does that happen? If they are twins, how do you go from the place of valuing Cain so much to valuing Abel so little that you give him this name? Now, one more word. And that is because it is closely associated with these. and That is the Hebrew word 1891. Spelled H-A-V-A-L or H-A-B-A-L. Haval. It is a prim- primitive root to be vain in act, word, or expectation. Specifically to lead astray or to become vain. Now I say all this so that you understand. That when she named this one Abel. It would seem to me. That some time has passed between the birth of Cain in which we are thrilled we have a man child. We have a man. We have a boy. We've had girls. I assume we've had girls. But now we've got a boy. And then the next one comes along and now we're naming this one worthless. Some people do teach this. That Cain was called Cain and Abel was called Abel after all the things that had gone on with him. And that Abel was called Abel because it also means breath and that his life was just a fleeting breath and he was gone. They named people names and expect them to live up to them. This happened with Adam and Eve and it happened we see in the in Abraham and the other people that come up to, after this. It would seem to me that they named these children before any of these events went on and this is what they were expecting or like in the case of Benjamin, they named them after events or they named them after what's going on in their lives. So I put, I have to put this together. I don't know. I can't go any other place in Scripture and, and pull things and try and get some things out of this. But what I am anticipating from this is that maybe we've had one two maybe th- maybe as many as three girls we get king and now we are um, we're excited because now we got a boy not saying she didn't get excited for the girls I'm just saying now we got a boy now we at least got uh we got everything covered now we'll have some more then some time went maybe she had another girl Maybe, maybe not. Maybe Abel was born after that. It seems like Abel and Cain are closely related or close in age. It just, uh, I get that impression just reading the story that they're close in age. It could be that with Eve, she has been out of the garden. She has been away from the walks with Jesus. She has been in this world in which sin is going on and she has seen that life is just not as special as it used to be. Not as good as it used to be. In fact, I think life is just a little bit on the worthless side. We had it. It was so good in the garden. And now we've got to fight for everything. We've got all these things around here. We've got a few things out here want to kill us. We've got a few of those animals out there. They want to kill us. We've got uh, a, a lot of work going. Things are harder than they were before. And maybe she is just gotten that on a bad day or a bad year or a bad month, whatever it might be, of the fight, and she's just saying, You know what? I think life is just worthless. And she calls Abel by that name. Could you imagine having a name that people understand as worthless, as vain, as vanity? And this is your name growing up? And Cain? I'm possession. She was happy when she when I was born. Could you see a little bit of that rivalry going on between these guys. So that maybe Abel wasn't um, wasn't quite feeling all that great. Now there is some writings and some of the Jewish Jewish uh, historians have have write, written this about this time. That Cain was the person with the highest character and Abel was more of a low character person. I don't see any hint of that from scripture. That is some of the things that the, is written in, uh, historically. But How did Adam and Eve get from the place of being grateful for a son to life is just worthless? They were once filled with life. They were once filled with joy. They were filled with peace, goodness, so many other things. The cost of disobedience, it wasn't known at the time, but they're paying it now. And it was a pretty high cost. Don't let the enemy ever sell you on the fact that you can just disobey and everything's going to be fine. Don't disobey. Don't not follow God. It may cost, but that's a pay the cost. Brother Hagin used to always teach us about, about this when we were down there at school. And he would say, why do people advertise? Why does McDonald's put those big billboards up on the, on the street so that you can, you can read them? McDonald's, one mile ahead. Take exit. Why do they do these kind of things? Why does Coca-Cola buy an ad to make you feel good about their product? It costs them money to to do that. Why do they do it? Because they feel like if I put that money out now, I will reap more down the road. We will get more from putting that money out. So he would tell us this. He said, it doesn't cost to advertise. It pays. And he said, it's the same thing with obedience. It doesn't cost to obey. It pays. Sure, there's an initial cost There's an initial thing that you have to do to obey. But in the end, it pays to obey God. They should have obeyed. They wouldn't be paying this cost. Verse 3, And in the process of time, it came to pass, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, Cain decided to bring something other than what God asked for. He decided to bring what he wanted, or what was available to him to bring. He could have brought the same kind of livestock that his brother did. He could have worked out something to trade with him. Hey, I need a lamb for the sacrifice. Can I give you this? Will you give me a lamb? Will you give me a sheep? Will you give me a goat? Will you give me whatever it is that he wanted to get? And they could have worked that out. Maybe he just wasn't liking his brother too much. Maybe there was some tension between them. Whatever it might be, he didn't go that route. Maybe he just felt like, well, God ought to take this. This is from my work of my hands. This is what I have brought about. And I could just do this. Now, God taught them about sacrifice. God didn't come down to Moses on the mountain and teach them about sacrifice. They already knew about sacrifice. Sacrifices were being made before Moses went up on the mountain. There were sacrifices that were going on. God told them how to do it. In fact, He probably even showed them when He made their tunics, He probably showed them this is a sacrifice and this is what we do when we miss it. We have to kill an animal and then we have to offer it in this way. And He taught them and He showed them and then Adam and Eve would have taught and showed their sons and daughters what to do and how to do it. And so, Cain came to a place where he decided not to do it that way. Probably in the beginning, mom and dad put up the sacrifice. They brought the sacrifice for them. But there came a point where he had to do it himself. Where he had to bring it on his own. He decided, I'm not going to bring the live animal and kill it and then burn it and do all those things. I'm going to bring my stuff. my The the fruit, the grain, the things that came from the ground. And I'm going to bring that. And God was not accepting it. But Abel's was accepted. Now anytime. That you get into a place. And you can tell that God's accepting this person over here. But God's not accepting me. And we don't even. You may not even know that for sure. But you feel like that. Maybe you have been in a church. And uh, this person over here. They got healed. This person over here. They didn't get healed. I was listening to Brother Hagen teaching something this week, and he was talking about it in his church. He said most of the time, the people that you didn't think would get healed got healed, and the people that you thought would get healed didn't. The people that you thought would get healed, are the people that have been in the church a long time, the people who had been obedient and did what the Word of God had had said, or at least they gave that appearance anyway. They're always in church, always helping, and it seemed like they didn't get healed. But the people that just got saved or the people that are in a, you know, baby Christian state, boy, they got healed. Well, sometimes we we don't always know enough to disobey. So we haven't disobeyed. But Cain knows what he should do and decides to disobey anyway and brings something that is not right. Now, he realizes it's not right. God has spoken to him. However, God came to him. We don't know how God came to him. We don't know if there was a vision involved. We don't know if an angel came up and ministered to it. We don't know if it was just in a dream. Somehow, the word of the Lord came to Cain and he he understood my sacrifice is not being accepted. Abel's is. Whenever you get into a place where this person is being accepted and I'm not. This person is being healed and I'm not. This person is filled with joy and I'm not. This person has victory, and I'm not. This person has a promotional on their job, and I'm not. Whenever we get into a place and we're seeing some Christians that seem to be gaining some benefits that we don't, we begin to get into a comparison mode. Surely no one here has done this, but maybe you can imagine that other people that you know might have done this. We begin to compare. Well, look how often I'm in church. Look how often they're in church. Look how much of the Word of God I know. Look how much of the Word of God they know. Look at the habits I've gotten rid of, and look at the habits they still partake of. And we begin to compare. And we begin to say, Well, I don't think, you know, if God was just, He would not heal them, minister to them before He ministered to me. And you begin to get angry. And you begin to think, God, how is it that that person can get healed? You go into some big meeting. Evangelist is there. They're laying hands on people. You see this person go down. I know that person. I know their faults. I know their shortcomings. And they went on down there and they got hands laid on them and jumped up. Oh, so happy. They got healed. Healed right there on the spot. But you didn't. And you begin to get mad at God because who else are you going to get mad at? God, why is it that you would minister to this person over here? Why would you do that? But not do it to me. And it said "The Cain was very angry and its countenance fell. Now, if you knew that God came, if God came to you and ministered to you in such a way that you knew it was God and God said, your sacrifice is not being accepted. Abel's sacrifice is being accepted. How many of you say, well, I just make my sacrifice like Abel's. There you go. Problem fixed, right? No. He doesn't do that. He keeps bringing the same sacrifice. Expecting that eventually God's going to come to his side. God's going to see things the way he sees it. God's going to do things the way he wants it done. But God doesn't change. God doesn't come over. He doesn't do it. He has corrupted what God has said. Now, Uh, sometimes I get feedback from some people. They think I'm a little too much of a stickler for the word. I've heard that from people. I've heard people, you know, they they sometimes even pick on me for it. If it's not in the word, I won't do it. Yeah, well, that's just you. You need to loosen up a little bit. And people will tell me about doctrines that they believe in, but there is no evidence for it in Scripture. No one taught it. No one did it. Well, if no one taught it, If it's not directly taught, you know my three pillars. It needs to be taught clearly, often, and somebody needs to have done it. I need to see somebody to have done it. If I'm going to have a doctrine that comes into my life and changes my life, that I alter my life around, that's what I need to see. And people will come up. We've had all kinds of things. We've had people with the flags. We're waving the flags. You don't see any flags in this church. We don't have flags. We had somebody one time who tried to bring them in. And we dealt with it immediately. I went to the back. I didn't make it a big deal in the meeting. I told them that's not for here. Oh, you don't do that here? You knew I didn't do that here. <laughs> and they put the flag away and that's the last time we ever saw the flag. We don't do those things with those horns, the, the, the shofar. We don't do stuff with the shofar. My wife has been out at meetings and they gave her printouts of multiple pages teaching them about how they are to deal with the shofar. And how you can blow the shofar. And that if you blow the shofar and make this tune, this demon spirit flees. And if you... Yeah, I did. And if you blow the shofar in this way, has to be a shofar. You can't go out there and get no brass trumpet. You need a shofar. And if you blow it this way, you usher the Holy Spirit to come in and to do these. This was in the documentation. I'm not buying into that. You know Why? Because there's nowhere in the Word of God where it clearly teaches that this ought to go go on. It doesn't teach it. They have documentation, but it's not in the Word of God. I don't have anybody in the Word of God who blew the shofar and knocked out a spirit. You know what did it? The name of Jesus. So we use the name of Jesus. That's what we do. Because that's in the Word of God. That's what we hang on to. We've had people that gone off. I've seen people. No one came in here they did try to infiltrate. <laughs> but they would go off to these meetings and they would practice prophesying by prophesying over chairs and prophesying over clocks. I'm certain I'm not exaggerating one bit. This is what they did. And they would have the meetings and you were encouraged to get into small groups and in the small groups they would uh, basically spin the bottle. And whoever appointed to. Alright, it's your turn to prophesy. Prophesy to this chair. How can you have a word of the Lord for the chair? God is not speaking to the chair. So where do you have to get the word from? Some other spirit. So they practiced getting into these other spirits and calling it God. And we didn't get into that. You didn't see that going on. We've had people, I've had people directly try and pull me into the area of deliverance. I believe in deliverance in that you cast out the demon. When he shows himself up, I don't need to know anybody's name. I don't need to know how long you've been there. Jesus did ask that one time. But all the rest of the time, he didn't ask that. He said, get out. And they got out. That's what you do. If you recognize this is a a bad spirit, you cast the thing out. That's what you do. Oh, but no, that's not good enough. There are some places they would go off there. And way before I was, we even had this church going, when I was involved in other churches, and they would dig into your past to find out what evil spirits are involved and what evil spirits you picked up. And they would have hours of ministry. Oh, well, we got rid of some demon spirits. This one, you know, if you yawn because you were tired of all these hours of being in there. Well, there goes one of the spirits. This is what they did. Now, see, I don't have any place where that's taught in Scripture. I don't have any place where it's taught clearly often and no one ever did it. So we don't do it. But I had pressure. People come in and, well, you need to get into deliverance ministry. I told this to one of them. I remember this conversation. I said, Paul dealt with the sin issue because they were convinced that the devil is behind any sin that's in your life, especially anything that's been long standing. The devil is behind it. The devil's in you. You got to get him out. I said, Paul dealt with the sin problem for seven entire chapters in the book of Romans. And you know how many times he mentions the devil as being the source? Not a one. You know what he does mention? Your flesh. You cannot cast your flesh out of you. It is there. So anyway, I could keep on going and tell you other doctrines that have come up and things that people have done, but I always will bring them back down. Does the word teach it often? Does it teach it clearly? And has someone done it? If they don't, I don't practice it. I won't teach it to you. If you want to go off and follow after it, that is your thing to do. It is not my job to convince you that anything is right. It is my job to to preach to you the Word of God and to teach you the Word of God. That is my calling. That is my job. If you want to go off there and believe anything else, that's fine. Go ahead. But there's a whole lot of wrong things. Paul dealt with them. He called them doctrines of demons. And they they start off small. And they got into Cain. And they told Cain, Has God really said that you need to bring a live animal? Because what you have, this is what you have. And God would be most pleased if you took what you have, what your harvest is, and you gave that to God. And he accepted that doctrine. And he went on and lived it. Even though the direct word from God was different. You will find this. If you want to find out if it's a doctrine of demon, I tell you, this is a litmus test that I do. If I want to find out if it's a doctrine of demon, disagree with the person on scriptural grounds and see what they do. If they get mad at you, if they yell at you, if they cut off fellowship from you, they do these kind of things it is a doctrine of demons that has always proven true to me if i just get in there and anybody ever been around for that what is that called inner healing anybody ever remember her? don't raise your hand got involved with it just just have you ever heard of that inner healing that was some of the biggest bunch of garbage that ever was displayed because they took all the power out of the Word of God and they put it into the people that would come into your life and would speak into your life. And you were dependent on these people coming in and speaking into your life. You were dependent upon these people finding the thing that you needed for inner healing and you became dependent on those particular individuals. I was in a church and serving for a while. The leadership was going after this one particular thing because there was one person on the elder board that uh, really loved this stuff. And oh, he convinced the pastor to bring them in. He convinced the board to bring them in. Everybody was bringing it on because that church was run by a board. It doesn't run like a corporation. We don't run churches like corporations. You run churches like churches. You get people involved. Anyway, that's what they were doing. And so they had this thing going on. I was the only one who stood up to them and said, I'm not going. It is wrong and I will not be here. I was the assistant pastor. I will not be here. And the elder who was trying to do, well, I think you could really gain, you could really benefit from this. I said, I gain from having the Word of God come alive in my life, not how other people want to become strong in my life. I stayed away from the meetings. Everybody knew I didn't go to the meetings. I didn't go around preaching against the meetings. I just didn't go. I stayed away. I won't buy into it. If it's not in the Word clearly, if it's not in the Word often, and if somebody didn't do it, I don't need to mess with it. I just don't. There's a, so much in the Word of God that is written clearly, that is written often, and that people did that I still don't understand fully. Anybody else can uh, can relate to that? Are there things in the Bible that you still don't understand? I want to work on those. I want to get a better understanding of those. But somebody got into Cain's head and told him... You can do this. You can follow after this kind of a sacrifice. And he was so set on it that the very person, Abel, who reminded him that this is not the way that you can go and Abel kept coming in and doing it the right way, he rose up and killed him. That's a doctrine of the devil. That's a wrong doctrine. There's plenty of doctrines of devils in the churches today. You see, if you want to come up to me and say, I don't believe... That there's a, that the pre-tribulation theory is correct. I think it's false and I think we're going through the tribulation. You know what I'll say to you? Enjoy it. Have fun. And I'll go off and I'll still have fellowship with you. I have no trouble with that at all. If you want to believe, I'll show you the evidence for it in the scripture. And if you still want to believe in a post-trib, uh, rap, that's fine. That's what, go ahead. Cause I'm not going to lose fellowship over it over that kind of stuff. You have to be careful of these things. Cain had gotten into into this the sacrifices and he was convinced, this is, this is right. He was very angry and his countenance fell. And he gets mad at God. And when you get mad at God, you will take it out on people. When you get mad at God, you will take it out on people. You know why? Because you can't take it out on God. (laughs) I'm mad with God, but I can't take it out on him. It's kind of like when you were little and you had a dog and you got mad at your parents. You can't take it out on your parents. Who can you take it out on? The dog. You go out there and you kick the dog or you yell at the dog or you do something to the dog and your parents say, why are you doing that to the dog? Dog didn't do nothing. The reason was I'm mad at you, but I can't do that to you, so I'm going to do it over here. This is what he does. So he's getting his anger and he's going to let the anger fly towards Abel. But Abel's not the reason why his sacrifice is not being accepted. Cain is the reason. We can sometimes do this with ourselves. Sometimes we look at our wife or husband or a boss, a friend, child. They want this. They want me to do this. But I'm only willing to go this way. I'm only willing to do this. And we get mad at their response. We say... You know, maybe the kid wants some wants a drink. I want chocolate milk. I can understand that. Totally understand that. And uh, mom and dad have decided that we've had enough chocolate milk or we've had enough whatever. You can have water. And the kid gets upset. No, I want chocolate milk. And throws a fit, right? He wants his, his way. Cain wants to throw a fit. Get his way. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God knows He's angry and He knows why He's angry, but He's asking Him to, uh, you know, why are you angry? I want you to evaluate. Why are you angry? Now you've done this yourself. How many have done this with a child? How many have done this even in an employment situation? They're angry. Because something didn't go your way. And you say, why are you angry? You know exactly why they're angry. I didn't get the cookie. But you want them to state it. You want them to say it. You want them to see it. So God is saying, why are are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If God ever comes up in your spirit and asks you a question about something, understand this. It is not because he doesn't know the answer. God never asks a question that he does not already know the answer to. He's a good lawyer. Lawyers are not supposed to ask questions they don't know the answers to. God never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to. He already knows it. We're going to see that again coming up here. So he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin is looking for an opportunity in your life. One of the things it will do is it will try to get you to get off the Word. That's why it's so important in churches in America, in churches wherever they are, you need to teach the Word. The most important thing that you need to have in your life is what does the Word say? If I have it down, what the Word said, we would be out of a lot of our problems. If Adam and Eve just did what God's word said, we wouldn't have any problems. If Cain would have just done what God's word said, he wouldn't have this problem. Most of our problems are because we compromise the word. We don't know the word. The enemy gets in, gets us to follow after something. Don't let him do it. So here's a simple solution to what's going on. Do well, right? If you'll do well, you'll be accepted. Not a, not a mystery here. But sin will look for that opportunity in your life. Not doing well or what's right. If you're not doing well, if you're not doing what's right, that is what gives sin an opportunity to get you to see injustice and then get mad about it. You're going to see injustice. Once you start getting off of the Word, once you've allowed the Word of God to be compromised, you're going to see the people who don't follow after the way you do to be unjust, to be in a wrong way, to be failing in some degree. And there's a reason for separation. There's a reason for not receiving from them anymore. This isn't right. That shouldn't happen. Look at the good you did. See how they don't appreciate you. These are the things that will come up on the inside. This isn't right. They should, your, your sacrifice should be accepted. This isn't right. This shouldn't happen. This kind of thing shouldn't go on. Look at how much better of a person you are than they are. Look at all the good things that you did. Gotta watch those attitudes that try and come in. Because attitudes that you first try to suppress but still stew over will become attitudes that produce harmful actions. When that attitude is young, you can kind of suppress it. You can kind of keep it down. Just like a little kid. When they've got the, the the bad attitude, when they're little, you can kind of squash that, can't you? But when they get to be bigger, what happens? You can't squash it the way that you used to be able to squash it. You let that thing simmer too long. Don't let that attitude fester in you. Don't do it. He said you should rule over it. Now in the New Testament, we see some teaching on this. I gave you one here in the... In the outline, and do not present your members, I'm actually going back to verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now the verse I gave you in the outline, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Sin is going to try to have dominion over you, but it's not supposed to. Same thing he's telling here to Cain. Sin wants to have a a dominion over you. Don't let it have a dominion. Don't meditate on these things. Psalm 19, 14. I'm just going to read a bunch of these scriptures off. They're not going to show up on your screen. Just listen to them. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. See, Cain didn't have his meditation right. He didn't have his meditation in the right place. It wasn't acceptable in the sight of God. And he was meditating on things against Cain. Don't be doing that. That the words of my, verse, uh, Psalm 51, 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is the direction we ought to be going. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. One of the things you will notice in these chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, is that when Adam is caught in sin, he gives excuse. Do you ever see Adam repent? When Eve is caught in sin, she gives an excuse. Do you ever hear Eve repent? When Cain is caught missing it, not measuring up, whether it be with the murder of his brother or in the wrong sacrifice, do you ever see Cain repent? We always look at what would happen in history. What would happen if Adam and Eve just didn't eat from the tree? What would happen? You ever wonder that? What would happen? Well, I also wonder this. What would happen if Adam and Eve, instead of offering excuses, simply repented? What if they just said, I have sinned? What if they did that? I don't know how much would have changed. I don't know if anything would have changed. I just wonder, what would have happened if they repented? We know what happened in the life of David when he was caught in sin and he repented. Good things came. Now, still some bad came. There were still some results of the sin, but good things still came. Saul, when he was caught sinning, when he was caught missing God, he didn't repent and he continued to go down until God finally said, I've rejected Saul from being king. Always repent. When God brings something to your mind, when God says, why did you do that? I have no idea and I'm sorry. (laughs) Just immediately repent. That should be your reaction. Tell me everything that I did that was wrong. I am sorry, but I want to make sure I don't ever do it again. Don't ever try and defend yourself to God. If God is asking you a question, He already knows the answer. Find out what it is from Him. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought... At a price, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Don't ever forget, we were bought with a price. If you don't rule over sin, it will rule over you. It is something that you have to do on a regular basis. Now, God will teach you about spiritual life in the things that you are involved with. The same way that he taught me about spiritual life in the things I was involved with. So I can, all I can do is tell you stories of what I was involved in. You have stories that are probably just as effective in things that you were involved in. But I didn't learn this until I went to college. And I got into college and I got involved in cross country and I did my first couple of races and I found out something about races. That there is a battle. You all think that a race, that people, you know, they're, they're, they're tired, you know, they're, you have no idea what goes on in a race. Races, I found out races are so extraordinarily painful in such an incredibly trying time on your body that I actually had anxiety that would build up before a race because of what I was going to face, because of what I was going through. Now, I wanted to, but when I went through, and it I, wasn't until my second year that I really started to learn how to do this, and I only got involved in it to a small degree Compared to some of these guys that are in the big, big on the circuit, who can really push in, I have a great appreciation because I know the more you get into this, the more you can push it. But there is things that go on in your body when you push a. I'm not talking about working out. I am not talking about going out. You can go out there and run 10, 20 miles. You will never experience this. But when I would get out there and do the race for a six-mile race, there would be a battle that would take place there would be a pain that would rise up on the inside of me and that pain began to try and control my breathing and take my breathing out of whack. It tried to control my mind so that I was not able to concentrate on the things that I would concentrate on. It got so strong that it would rise up and it would control what I could hear so that I was not hearing many of the things that went on in the race. I have run by people who shouted things at me and I never heard them. Vision is one of the other things. It's one of the last things to go, but your vision is actually affected and you cannot see to the degree that you were able to before. In fact, it is a fight through the whole race, especially the last part of it. You are fighting with everything that you've got to maintain a measure of control over your mind, to maintain a measure of control over your legs, to maintain a measure of control over your breathing. To maintain a measure of control over your vision so that you can still see. I don't care if I can just see what's directly in front of me. Just so I can see. And so many times I would get through the race and once I got through and all the adrenaline for the race was done and I couldn't see sometimes. Sometimes I couldn't see for a little while. My vision was gone. There was a, there would be I had 30 minutes generally after a race was done. 30 minutes until everything would break down in my body. My muscles would ache. My stomach would ache. I couldn't eat anything. If I laid down, my legs would ache more. But I would lay down because my stomach was so... Just from all the... the, Up and down, up and down, up and down. It was a battle. But if I got up to try and exercise my legs... Oh, my stomach hurt. Oh, I felt like I was going to be ill. And then somewhere after that I was a couple of hours after the race was over, I learned this about my body. Not everybody responds this way. I know that, but I learned this about my body. Once it it hit, there would be a hunger that would hit, and if I did not eat something within the next 5 or 10 minutes, I would be violently ill. And so I always kept bread around the apartment. And you have to try and drag yourself up. Your legs are aching, everything is hurting. Your mind is still not completely your own and you try and feed yourself. You were, I was wasted for hours after a run, after a race. Runs are no big deal, but that race, that race taught me the battle that was there. And I learned how to cope with the battle that sin has. Sin wants control. God would teach me this the same way this was trying to take control of your mind. The same way it was trying to take control of your hearing. The same way it was trying to take control of your vision. And listen on. Same way. Sin wants to take control. Now, how did you fight it? And how can you bring that over into the spirit? And I would learn things about how to bring that over into the spirit realm so that I could learn how to control that and how to have the victory. Because sin's desire was to rule over you. And I'll tell you this. When you are involved in a race for God, when you are involved in pressing in for what he has called you to do, this is when you will experience it. And if you do not learn how to take charge and how to take over, then when you are in the midst of what God wants you to do, you will falter. Don't, don't let that happen. In Genesis 1:14, we read this before. I want to read it for you again. Then God said, "Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be signs, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights." In the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. And the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars. The, the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens. To give light on the earth. And to rule over the day. And over the night. And to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So evening and morning were the fourth day. What day was there light on the earth? Day one. Why we in day four we We're dealing with two lights. They were always there, but their influence on the earth had been taken away, and now God was putting that influence back in. He made the moon, He made the the, the sun, and each one was to rule. This the word "rule" is the exact same word that is used for rule that sin wants to have over you. When the sun comes out like it is now, it rules the day. There is no darkness; it rules it. At nighttime. The moon comes out and the moon sheds a lot of light out there and it rules the night. In fact, the moon can be so bright that you can't see some of the stars that are around it because of the brightness of the moon. That's the kind of ruling that's going on. That's the kind of ruling that you should have. You should dominate so much with the light of the God's, of God's word that when sin tries to come in, you rule over it. You have dominion over it. This is the exact same word that is used. When it's talking about Eve, that men are not to rule their households the way that this does. This is not what God is ever saying to do. And we we spent some time on that before. Don't need to go over it all again. But sin's rule begins by us thinking on doing something different than God asks. See, that's one of the things I learned when I was racing. I learned it's in the mind. I have got to learn how to fight for control of my mind. If I maintain control of my mind, just at least a little bit of it, maintain control of my mind, I can maintain my vision enough to get through the race. I can maintain my hearing enough. I can maintain all these other things I need to do to get through the race. I can do this if I maintain one part of my mind. If I begin to think in my mind, this is too much, I can't make this work, I can't let, this can't happen. Oh, I'm just, I'm failing. I'm faltering. If I let that rule my mind, if I let those things come in, I am done on that race. I am done on that. I remember the one of the first races I was ever involved in, there was an away race, and an away race, home races are much nicer because in a home race, you know the course. You go here, 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 done. You know exactly where it is. On an away race, that's not the way that it is. You're on somebody else's, you're going to run it one time, you are probably never run the course again. And so we were at this one. I forget what the school was. I can picture it. I can still see this course in my mind. It was 40-some years ago. I can still see it to this day. Left that much of an impression on me. We, they were driving us around. They were showing us the route. And they made a couple of comments at the end. And I heard the comments. And I processed all that information. And I got to the start line. Go. And we took off. I think this is probably my fourth race As uh, on the cross-country team. I think it was probably around there. It was pretty early on. And so we're running on around. And I I mean, I gave it everything I had. I couldn't do what I could do later on, but I gave it everything I had. And I'm finally coming close. I'm seeing the finish line. There's the finish line. finish line's right up there. I can make it. I I don't know if I can go anymore, but I can make it. And I'm pushing myself. I'm trying to get myself on through this thing. I'm getting closer and closer to the finish line. I can see that finish line right off the line. Oh, this is going to be so good to get this race done and over with. I'm just going to be glad to get this thing out of the way. I just want to be finished. And as I'm getting closer, I'm noticing that the runners that are in front of me, and there was a lot of them, and the runners that were in front of me didn't stop. They kept going. I'm trying to process this. Why are they still going? I don't understand. We rode around. keep... Oh, they told us we do part of the loop again. Oh, I'm not done. Oh, I have more to do. Oh, I wanted to give up right there. I wanted to just fall down and collapse and just say, that's it. I am no better than my fathers. <laughs> just, just quit. Just go right. There. No, no. I, I just, One, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just go as far as you can. If you can't make it, you can't. But I kept thinking about, no, you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. Just keep going. Just keep going. If I lose that battle in my mind, if I lost that battle, if I begin to tell myself, it's over, it's done, it would be over and done. It takes place in your mind. This is one of the greatest things I learned from that and was able to transfer over into my spiritual walk. It takes place in your mind. If you tell yourself, I'm depressed. If you tell yourself, I'm done. If you tell yourself that God is done with me. If you tell yourself that God is not happy with me. If you tell yourself these things. Tell yourself things that are apart from the word of God and you let those things dominate your mind. Then you will not finish the race the way that you're supposed to. Even at this point. All Cain needs to do is to get out from the, the reign of sin. All he has to do is take charge and do what God has asked him to do. That's all he's got to do. And he can change his entire course. But just as with his parents, at no point does Cain repent. Same way that his parents were. They don't repent. When you discover that what you do for God does not meet the standard he is asking, what is your reaction? What do you do? Verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know, I am my brother's keeper. What do we say about asking, God asking questions? He did not ask a question because he did not know where Abel was. He knows exactly where Abel is, he knows what happened to him. I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? Young's literal translation is this. I want you to look at, look at verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. The word in the Hebrew is not actually "talked." The word in the Hebrew is actually said. Now Cain said, with Abel, said to Abel. That's actually what the Hebrew says. Now Cain said to Abel his brother and it came to pass. Does that sound like it's, it's funny? Sounds like something is missing. If you're going to say and Cain said to Abel, won't you say what, what Abel said? Now here's what some people have done. Young's literal translation is translated this way. And Cain saith unto Abel his brother, Let us go into the field, and it cometh to pass in their being in the field that Cain rises up against Abel his brother and slayeth him. It inserted those words. Why does Young's literal translation, literal, means it's trying to be literal. Why does Young's literal translation insert the words, Let us go into the field? Well, that would make sense. If he said, this is what he said. It does that because the Septuagint puts it in there. And we don't know if the Septuagint got it from an older manuscript and uh, it, it somehow dropped out. We just don't know what that is. But the uh, Septuagint puts that in there. So it is possible that Cain said to Abel, let's go into the field. They were out in the field. And while they were there, out in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Don't know what happened on that one. But that doesn't really make any difference for the whole passage anyway. But he was thinking, he had these thoughts, these thoughts led to actions. Do not think for a moment that you can have these kind of thoughts in your head, thoughts against your wife, thoughts against your husband, thoughts against your kids, thoughts against your boss, thoughts against other Christians. You cannot have these kind of thoughts and not have them eventually come into some kind of action, which is why God says, get them under control, get them out. Think on the thoughts that God gives you. Verse uh, 10, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth. Now before the earth was cursed because of Adam, now the earth is coming back to curse him. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Again, it's different from the one in 317. You can go back there and read that over again if you want to. But it would seem that now Cain needs a career change. I need to run through this here. But Cain needs a career change because he's been working from the ground. Now that's not going to work. So he's got to find something else. We're told that he went off and he became a builder. Now Abel, it it is true that Abel is a shepherd, which is what Jesus Christ was, and was killed by a tiller of the ground like in the parable of the vineyard. That is all true. I don't know that that was intended, but um, it is is—it is a possibility. Maybe this was just a little bit of a glimmer of light that they had. We certainly have far more light on that whole um, part with the men killing the Messiah than they had. Verse 13. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive, a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Who is going to find Cain he's afraid of these people who's out there this has led people to think that there's other groups of people out there and they're just going to find Cain no, if think, put yourself in this position who is going to be mad at Cain and want to kill him the brothers and sisters you killed my brother some of them may have liked Abel better than Cain and you killed Cain we're coming to get you You may have had reason to be thinking about this. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord shall set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find him should kill him. All right, now, he never says what the mark was. But this mark had to be in such a way that it was visible. So that if you saw Cain, you would be able to say, Oh, this is is that guy. And we've been taught, Adam and Eve were probably taught taught their family, Don't kill Cain, God has put a mark on him. All kinds of teaching has come out from this. How many have ever heard that the race of white people came from the mark of Cain? Did anybody ever hear that one? It's out there. I did a search. I did a search on this because I've heard some rumors on it and I said, I've got to make sure that this is so. The race of white people, that all the people up till then had some kind of color to them and Cain was made white so he would stand out. There is actually things are out there. Now, you probably heard the other the other flip side. That Cain was made dark. And that all black people come from Cain. That is so ridiculous. That is so stupid. Neither one of those things is right. And I can prove it to you. Because the race of Cain, all the descendants of Cain, anybody know what happened to them? Every single one is wiped out. Every single one is dead. So whatever the mark was on Cain, it did not get passed on, and it did not continue on. How do I know that? Because there was a flood that wiped out all the people that were on the earth except for one family. Who was that family? Noah. And who does Noah descend from? Seth, not Cain. Can you see how stupid, inane doctrine gets taught and passed around? Ah, I tell you, I... I heard, I, I remember hearing it. A long, long time ago. That's why I did a search on I went back and I got through, pulled I don't ever do this, I pulled out my internet search history and I deleted it all. <laughs> I, I didn't want there to be any evidence that I even looked for this. <laughs> but it was there, it's out there. What we see though, is that um, we still haven't had that repentance that is there. Now, it says here, my punishment is greater than I can bear. There is some possible meaning from this word that's translated punishment is actually guilt. That he's saying, my guilt is more than I can bear. Which would seem to indicate, if that is the case, that Cain has some remorse. But not repentance. God wants repentance. That's the thing that, that we need to see. Let's get on here and, and uh, finish this up. Now, there was a sign that was put on him. It was visible. It's not the only time that God has done a sign. And this word, if you follow this word out for sign, you will find out that the rainbow for Noah is a sign using this exact same word. It's visible. But you will find that circumcision for Abraham is a sign. You also see that the ten plagues for Pharaoh, it was a sign. The blood on the doorpost, same word is used. It is a sign. And the visible miracles done in the wilderness were a sign. You can keep on going through the Word of God and find more places where this is used. I believe this is used 79 times, if I remember correctly. One time it's translated Mark. One time it's translated Mark, and that's here. 72 times it's translated sign. A few other times it's translated miraculous sign. Now the sign was visible. It's probably announced to the family so that everybody will know. Now let me get get to the end part here. You will be dominated by what you give into. Whatever you give into will dominate you. You have to make sure that you are dominated by the good things. If pride dominates your life, humility will not, nor will the benefits of humility follow you. If you allow pride to dominate you, you're going to get what follows pride to dominate you instead of what follows humility. The same is true if you live in doubt or if you live by sight, faith by sight. The benefits of faith, in faith in God's word, it's not going to follow you. That's why it's so important that you get doubt out of your life, that you stop having to see everything before you believe it. But because God spoke it, you believe it. You're going to get those benefits. If reason, self-illumination, or doctrines of devils dominate, then revelations from God's spiritual wisdom and understanding will not dominate you. If you give in to self-illumination... Well, I'm going to teach myself what this means. If you give in to reason, if you give in to doctrines of devils, if you give in to these natural things and the supernatural ones will not come into your life, you will not have the benefit of revelations. You will not have the benefit of spiritual wisdom. You will not have the benefit of understanding. If you let hate, distrust, gossip, evil speaking, believing the worst, and so forth, then love, joy, peace, kindness, and so forth will not dwell in you and you will not get the benefits of them. It depends on what you allow to dwell in you. Do not think for a moment that you can dwell on sin, that you can think on these things and not have it have an effect on your life. It does. Sin gets in and gets us to do stupid things like hide ourselves from the presence of God like we could actually hide ourselves from God. Like hiding the truth from God. Like Cain, I don't know what happened to him. When you give in to sin, it will shrink your view of God but faith and righteousness will expand it. When you give in to sin, your view of God will shrink and you will see God as smaller than he is. But if you give in to faith and righteousness, then who God is will become expended and you'll understand more so how great our God is. This is how the sinful world views God. This is why they view Him that way. This is why they see Him so small. This is why they don't care. They see Him as He doesn't care about your life. And you can pull the wool over God's eyes. We can do whatever we want down here. He's not watching. This is why they do it because this is what sin's result is. Get out of that Get into a place of being dominated by the things of the Word because if you will become dominated by the things of the Word, you will see the benefits dominate your life. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the benefits that come into our life when we allow the things of God to dominate us, to take over our life, that we let our thoughts be dominated by your thoughts. We let our ways be dominated by your ways. We do the things that you tell us to do in your word and we don't do the things that other people try and influence us to go after. We stay with the things that your word teaches us. We don't allow it to become corrupted like Adam and Eve did. We don't allow it to become corrupted like Cain did because when we allow your word to become corrupted even if it's just a little bit, even if it looks like it's something spiritual, it will take us down the wrong road. It will separate us from the things that we were not supposed to be separated from and it will hinder us in our growth And where we are to go. But Father if we will let your thoughts dominate us. If we will let your word dominate us. We will let it take over our lives. Great things. will Come about. Our life will be dominated by things. That we so long for. And we so desire. Thank you for the way that you. Are changing our life. The way that you are helping us. And bringing us into a place. Of greater glory. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, glory to God, I went long today. I'm sorry about that. We have a teaching coming out for you tomorrow. Priscilla, I went through I went through about six of hers to get one that I, that I was I can get behind. I'm not sure what this is. It may just be what's up on YouTube, but it seems like all I can find on YouTube is when she is doing the conferences for women because every single one I listened to, she was making a, com- a comment that, you know, the women that are here and, and so forth. I don't understand that. It seems like she ought to be going out to other places and just just the women's. I don't understand that, but maybe there's more things that I'm i not finding out there. But every one I did. So this is a women's conference, but there's a whole lot more than just women in the con- in congregation. You will notice that from the, the people that are there. And I don't care if you're teaching women, if you're teach, teaching men, if you're teaching them from the Word of God, it will be good. But she teaches this on separation. And it was wonderful. I put the uh, quote in the bulletin. Uh, Daryl was correcting my grammar on that t- today. And, I, and um, he said, did you mean to write it this way? <laughs> I appreciate it. He's always uh, reading them things let me know it, if he likes them or whatever. Uh, that's how she said it. I went back and listened to it a second time. That's how she said it. And I don't try and change how somebody said something because they had a reason for it. You ever hear Fred Price give a quote? Fred Price will give a quote and it's wrong English. But he does it intentionally. And I'm not going to take that away from him. I, understand. I like his wrong English when he talk, gets into it every now and then. It's, it's just fine. So I tried to get that. I actually went back twice and, and made sure that I got everything on it uh, uh, correct. But uh, it's a teaching on separation. that I, I just love the, the quote that's in there. We want the benefits of separation, but we don't want to go through the work. We don't want to do the act of, of separating. But be careful because there are some separations that will hurt you. And there are some separations that are God-ordained. God sometimes is calling us, separate from that. It is hindering you. It's holding you back. But there are other times that people have separated themselves. Saul separated himself from the wrong things, and he became even worse than he was before. There are many kings in Israel who separated themselves from the things of God and became much worse off. For there are people that God said, separate from you, from, from yourself from that. Rich Young ruler, he told him, he said, separate yourself from your money. And he wouldn't do it. If you're going to separate yourself from anything, make sure that God told you to do it. Because the devil would love to have you separate from some things that are helping you. Don't let him do that. But when God says, I need you to separate from this, I need you to pull away from this, it's probably because you got your trust in there. Somehow your trust got in there. So I hope you enjoy that, uh, that teaching that she does. That will be coming up on the... Um, I'll to share the link. Eleven o'clock tomorrow. It'll come out on Facebook, and it'll come out on your text messages as well. On Wednesday, we were over in the Book of uh, Ezra again. Well, I was thinking of going into there's another another minor prophet who ministered during this exact same time as Haggai, but it's actually a longer book than Ezra. <laughs> so it would be quite a detour to go after it. So uh, we'll, I'll meditate on those things and see if we may take it up after ezra but we're going to go back into chapter five you might even get more than chapter five in in, uh, what's going on that so that'll be be coming up on on those but um, i hope you enjoyed the little little jaunt on uh, haggai and that you got an appreciation for some of the things that he was able to to teach you on, on those have a great rest of the day bless some of the people that are around you before you get off and going